Good morning, West Shore Church family. Hope you guys are doing well. Hope you're safely tucked away in your houses this morning. Um, I'm actually recording this on Saturday night since we knew we were going to, in light of the weather, going to need to cancel. So, But we did not want to miss an opportunity to be together this morning um, to gather together around God's Word. So I'm in my house and uh, going to just share with you a bit, probably a bit of a truncated version uh, of what we were going to do when we gathered. So a couple of housekeeping items. Um, actually, but before I get to these, let me say this. Um, we don't have a worship piece that we're able to bring you this morning. And by worship, I mean worship and music. So let me encourage you, before you go any further in the video, best thing to do for you this morning in your homes, with your families, or on your own, wherever you are, is just pause this, uh, grab some worship music, you know, a song or two, and just prepare your heart because um, we know when we gather, we're singing praises to God. And part of what that is doing is it's preparing us to... Um, meet God through his word. So I just want to encourage you to do that. Don't don't come in sort of cold turkey here, um, but take a few minutes and just get your heart prepared for God's word uh, as we look at it together today. So like I said, we don't want to miss an opportunity to gather on God's word together. So and thank God for technology. We can do it that way. So I'll pray for us in just a moment, but here are the couple of housekeeping things I need to give you uh, beforehand. Number one, uh, hopefully you got the email or saw it on our Facebook page that in light of um, COVID numbers being really high with the Omicron variant, we're really thankful that it seems to be uh, less severe in how it's affecting people. But nonetheless, the numbers are kind of really, really shooting up. So we are inviting you and encouraging you. One, in the weeks ahead when we're able to gather, when there's not a weather event like today, um, please, 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 if you're feeling under the weather, if you had any kind of exposure, just make sure you worship with us online rather than coming in person. We want to mitigate spread as best we can. And then um, in addition to that, we're going to encourage you to wear a mask. So we're encouraging everybody to wear masks for our two services, the 9 and the 1045, for a few weeks until we see that spike in numbers come down, which we hope and expect it will uh, as, as the weeks pass by. So that's number one. Um, number two is just wanted to remind you about the next coming weeks. I've talked about this over the last couple months at different points, but just a reminder, kind of a roadmap for you where we're headed now is that, um, so this week I'm going to talk to you about our mission. At the beginning of the year, it's a good time to remind us about our mission. We want to talk about renewing our commitment, both individually and as a church, to walking with God and the work that he has for us. That's what we're going to talk about today. Then the next three weeks, we're going to spend some time talking about a theology of ethnicity, race, and justice. We know those are sort of uh, hot burner topics. We get a lot of questions about those things, lots of conversation in the church, and not just our church, lots of churches about that over the last you know year, half year. And so the elders have been diligently working and thinking and praying through putting together a theological paper on that very subject, which is going to be a companion piece to the sermon series, which is going to start next week. Uh, so a couple things you can expect with that. We're going to spend three weeks on it. We think it'll be, we hope it'll be really helpful to you. We know we want you to be able to think biblically about these subjects um, in a way that aligns our hearts with God's word. So that's going to be our aim over the next three weeks to do that. As we're doing that, we're going to, on the last Sunday of that series, we're going to have just a Q&A time so that it's not just a monologue, me talking at you guys or to you guys, uh, but that we'll have time to, to receive questions, go back and forth, really demonstrate what good godly dialogue looks like in that way. So we're excited to do that. It'll be right after the second service on the third Sunday. And forgive me, I didn't write that date down, but so three Sundays of that series, last Sunday. And we'll have the ability to submit questions uh, all through the series. So at any point you got a question you want to throw out there, uh, we're going to post that theological paper on our website. So that'll be available to you. You can look at that, read that through. And like I said, it won't be the content of the sermon, sermon series won't be exactly that, but it'll be the 
they'll be um, kind of connected to one another. So you'll see that as we go through it. So want to make you aware of that. And, uh, and you'll see how you can submit questions and stuff too. keep tracking with what's happening. And then last piece of housekeeping is um, we are just thinking about specific ways that we can continue for those of you who are health care workers in particular, how we can be praying for you, how we can be encouraging you. So you're going to see more of those opportunities pop up. Just want to see, uh, want that to be on your radar. And one of the things we had planned to do today uh, in our worship services was just to offer a, a special sort of congregational prayer together for all, you know, our members of our body and also just those in our community who are serving in healthcare. Uh, we know that the next few weeks may very well be challenging for you. And we just want you to know we love you. So when I'm done with what we're going to do in scripture today, I will, I'm going to offer that prayer um, and then the last thing is just, it's communion Sunday. So I've got some elements here with me, uh, and, uh, you may want to hit the pause button here and grab some elements yourself. If you're a follower of Jesus, the table of communion, the Lord's supper is open to you. We'd love for you to join us in worshiping the Lord in that way as remembering his cross, uh, and then his resurrection coming after, but the penalty paid for our sins so that we might be reconciled to God as a part of our worship today through communion, the Lord's table. So, like I said, if you need to hit the pause button, go grab some elements for you, your family. Uh, you can do that and then come back and, and rejoin us. So, all right, so that said, let me pray for us and then let's dive into God's word together today. Lord Jesus, I thank you for my church family. Uh, know that we're not gathered physically present with one another today, but as I said, I'm so glad that you have made it possible for us to, to be gathered in this way. And so, Lord, I pray that you would sharpen our minds now. We give our attention to your word and we trust in your word. We're guided by your word. We know that your word is inerrant without error, that it's sufficient. And so we pray that you give us ears to hear and eyes to see what it would say to us today. Lord Jesus, we say to you that we want to walk in all that you have for us this year, both as individuals and as a church. And so we pray that you'd show it to us, guide us in it, and, uh, and Lord, help us to be obedient we know that the result will be great joy. We love you, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, gang. Well, if you've got a Bible, you can turn with me. We're going to look at three scriptures in particular today. Colossians chapter 1 is the first place that you can go. But as we're diving into that, I wanted to tell you a story. Recently, um, if you all know Rudyard Kipling's uh, The Jungle Book, I mean, many of you have probably seen the movie, you, you know, either the animated or live-action version, or maybe you've even read the book. Um, I've had the privilege of doing both and thoroughly enjoy um, his stories. And I was thinking about, we watched it recently here as a family, and I was thinking about as I was preparing for this sermon on, you know, our mission as a church, I was just thinking about Mowgli. And if you remember the story, Mowgli has this um, mission where he's returning to the man village. There's a danger to him in the, the tiger Shere Khan who's after him. And so he needs to return to the man village. But along the way, he gets uh, both sort of hypnotized by Ka the snake. He gets um, distracted by Baloo the bear who just kind of wants to be about entertainment and comfort and delights. And and even uh, the, the monkeys grab him because they want to learn how to make fire from him. But I just thought it was a great example of how easy it is to get sidetracked, whether it's because of something someone else does or whether it's because we're easily distracted, how easy it is to get distracted um, from the agenda that is in front of us, from the thing that God has put in front of us. Just like Mowgli, we are prone to get distracted, aren't we, um, from the mission that God has given us. And so it's good to remind ourselves. And here at the beginning of the year, my hope is that sort of our agenda this morning is to help you think about renewing your commitment to the work God has called you to. 
in this calendar year. And I just want to encourage you to be thinking about that. And for some of you, it may be that you don't know exactly what that work is. And so part of your process is examining your spiritual gifts and the circumstances God has placed you in and uh, what your passions are and the things that he's calling you into. For some of you, it, it might be that that passion is waning a little bit. That commitment is waning a little bit to the things that you know God has invited you into. And uh, and so that's true for you as individuals. It's also true for us as a church that we need to be remembering our mission. And for all of us as members of our body, we join together in accomplishing the mission that God has given us. So let's ask that question, what is our mission? And then I just want to take it in three parts with you. And we're going to look at three scriptures that help us understand uh, the rooting of our mission in God's word and and motivate us to move forward in it. So we say our mission, for those of you who are new like this, we say that our mission is to seek the good of the West Shore and beyond through deep truth, deep lives, and deep love for the glory of Christ. To seek the good of the West Shore and beyond through deep truth, deep lives, and deep love for the glory of Christ. So I want to begin at the end, if you will, because the end is the center, if you'll excuse the kind of <laughs> bit of a pun there. But uh, when we think about that whole mission statement, the most important part is what comes at the end, to do all things for the glory of Christ, that we are in our mission, a people who are enamored with this one thought, that we want everything we do to be about the glory of Christ, that he would get glory from us, that he would be seen clearly. We believe that Christ's glory doesn't have to be trumped up. It doesn't have to be, um, he doesn't have to be made to look better than he, he doesn't need a good PR firm. Uh, to be glorious. He is glorious, and our job is to display him. And that's our great passion. So listen to Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 18, a great text that reflects upon the glory of Christ and gives us reasons why he's worthy of glory. And that's what I want to think about today for just a minute. It says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Well, as I said, we are a people captured by one thought above all others, and that thought is this, is that Jesus is worthy of glory in a way that no one else and nothing else is, that he stands alone. That's what that term preeminent means, that he's above everything. And in this text, we find that Paul is writing to the Colossian church, and he's reminding them, he's saying Jesus is worthy of glory in a way that nothing else is and no one else is because he's God, very God of very God, that he is the one who created all things, which makes him worthy of glory that he existed before all things and that all things have their existence because not just he made them, but because he sustains all of them, that he determines the purpose of everything, that he is a perfect ruler. And because he went to the cross in love, I don't know if you caught that, but he is the firstborn. He is the firstborn from the dead. The firstborn from the dead is what the scriptures say, which is a way of saying he is the one that went to the cross and then rose again. And so because of his death and his resurrection, he's worthy of glory. Now, here's what I would say, church, in this year, again, if nothing else, uh, we would want to capture your attention with the idea that if Christ is not most glorified in you, if his glory is not the hunger of your heart, if it's not what burns in your bones, if it's not the thing that you want more than you want anything else in life, more than you want your family to thrive, more than you want a spouse, more than you want great grades in school or to get into the right school or 
you know, more than you want success in your career, we would want you to, for the, we want you to have the glory of Christ be preeminent in your life, that it would be his glory that you would want more than anything else. And just imagine what our life as a congregation would be like if we could always know what glorified him most. And sometimes that can be hard to, <laughs> you can have choices in front of you and you're not exactly sure, but just imagine for a moment, if we could always know what glorified Christ most, what made him most famous. Imagine if we could always know it, and he is so good to so often reveal to us, but sometimes we walk and it can be it can be hard to discern. But imagine we could always know it, and then imagine that we always did it. Imagine that at every turn, we always did what most glorified Christ. What would our life together as a church family be like? I mean, it's that's a vision of heaven, of course, but man, I want us to be more and more like that that Christ would be preeminent among us, not just in our affections, but in the way we treat each other and the way we honor one another and listen to one another and the way we think about the choices that we make and the sacrifices that we make to serve with one another and alongside one another. So life tends to have a gravitational pull, I would say, towards seeking our own glory. That's just, it's innate in us by our nature. And so it takes a regular fight to return to glorifying Christ. I wanna encourage you there. Don't just assume, well, I... You know, I, I love Jesus. Do an examination of your heart and ask, is his glory really the first thing I'm concerned about? What has this last year looked like for you? Has it been one where every decision has gone through that? Every action has gone through that filter of desire in your heart. And if you find that Christ's glory is not the first impulse of your heart, maybe that your own glory, your own comfort um, is sneaking up uh, in your heart. What a time now at the beginning of the year to remind yourself of Christ's glory being first and most. So that's the first thing, the most important thing. Now, let me go to the beginning of that mission statement. As I said, we do all that we do for the glory of Christ. Now, the beginning of that mission statement says that we exist to seek the good of the West Shore and beyond, to seek the good of the West Shore and beyond. Now, there's that idea of seeking the good is rooted in Jeremiah 29 uh, verses three, four through seven. So I, I want to look at those in just a moment because it helps us answer the question, okay, well, how do we glorify him? What does that look like? And so we want to think about this text now, Jeremiah chapter 29 verses four through seven. It says this, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Now, let me give you a little context there, because as with all Old Testament texts, we have to be careful because uh, as New Covenant believers, those who have come after Christ and his work on the cross, not everything that God promises to Israel applies to us. Not everything that is said in the Old Testament applies to us by way of the circumstance and direct situation that is being addressed there. But there's a principle here that we draw this idea of what it means to live as exiles uh, what it means for us is as New Testament believers uh, who know Christ and know the Messiah that was to come, that was promised in the Old Covenant, under the Old Covenant, what does that mean for us? So just a little bit of context here. Jeremiah is writing to, to uh, other people from the nation of Judah, the southern part of Israel, the southern kingdom in Israel. 
who've been taken into exile, and they've been taken into exile in Babylon because of their disobedience to the Lord. But throughout that, there's a couple things going on in Jeremiah. Number one is that he's writing to them, and he's essentially saying to them, you're going to be there a lot longer than you think. There are all these false prophets who are telling them they're only going to be there a short time. So you know what? They don't need to worry about how they're living in Babylon. In fact, they may even want to rebel against the king. I mean, it's assured that within a couple years, uh, one of the prophets said, within two years, you'll be back home. You don't need to worry about it. And Jeremiah comes in and he says, no, the exile is going to be 70 years long, longer than you think. Now, that sounds really like a hopeless kind of message, but Jeremiah also declares to these exiles that God has sent them into exile in order to accomplish his redemptive purposes. In other words, the Messiah he's promised to send in Jeremiah chapter 23, he talks about him calling him the righteous branch of David. He says, the Messiah that I promised to send, actually, you're the hope of the remnant of Israel that is being preserved and, and remaining even while you're in exile. God is doing something miraculous to keep his redemptive purposes going forward. And you will come back. So he's giving them this redemptive hope. Now, I tell you all that context as a way of saying, there are certain, as I, like I said, there are certain things here um, about the circumstances that are not like our circumstances, right? We're, yes, in exile. First Peter chapter two, verse 11 tells us that we are exiles and we should see ourselves that way. We are not in our true home yet. We're living as exiles uh, until God brings us home into his kingdom. So that's very true. And yet our exile is not a punishment for sin done. It's just the fact that we have been born into a world. Now the world is full of sin and rebellion, but you and I are not here in exile by way of punishment. So the circumstances are different. And yet the principle remains, how do you live in exile? And for the nation of Israel, for Judah, the Southern kingdom, what Jeremiah is saying to them is, I want you to seek the welfare of the city where you have been placed. Now, this is a wicked place. There's not much good in Babylon, not much worthy of praise or admonition, not much that even aligned with the very nature of God and who he was. And yet he says, I want you to seek its welfare. Actually, you'll find that you'll be blessed as you do that, he says, and that's part of my preserving you. But he has this mind or this thought to say to them, I don't want you to sort of check out sit on your hands, just wait for it to, for the time to pass. I want you to be actively seeking the good of the place where I have placed you as exiles. And as that happens, you'll be better prepared for my kingdom to come, for my redemptive purposes to go forward in the world. So as we think about our mission here and now, that same principle still applies to us. We are not to be, if you remember what we saw in First Thessalonians in our study of that book, we are not to be people who simply sit on our hands and we're not to be people who treat our neighbors as our enemies. We are to be people who love those around us and seek the good of the place where God has placed us in exile so that we can, while they were pointing forward to God's redemptive purposes in a Messiah yet to come, we are pointing back to the Messiah who's already come and said, Jesus has come, he's transformed and changed us. And now we are a people who want to love our enemies and love our neighbors and love each other. And we want to operate with integrity and goodness. And we want to seek flourishing and thriving everywhere we go. Now, there's a lot of ways that happens. And they're too numerous to mention. But we seek the good of the place where God has put us in exile. Number one, by telling people about Jesus and the redemption that, can, that is offered in him. That's always number one. But we also do it by meeting the practical needs of people. I was just listening to Billy Graham talk at, a, at an expo in Dallas in 1972. I saw a recording of it. And I love that one of the things that he said in, in the recording I was watching was that, that Christian faith must always uh, seek to meet the social or solve the social ills or deal with the social ills of our days. They, 
that Christian faith doesn't just stop at saying one day we're going to go to heaven, but it seeks to bring the kingdom of God down to earth in practical means, to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And so we meet the practical needs of people in our community. That's a way that we seek the good. We seek the good of others by praying over them, praying over people who don't even know we're praying over them. And that would be one of my encouragements to you. And this year, I'd love to see you take very seriously the call to pray over, not just one another, but over your neighbors, pray over your coworkers, to be regularly and diligently and tenaciously praying for them in ways they don't even know that you're doing it. Just you and the Lord together, seeking the good of other people who, because you're praying over them. And then just one more comes to mind. We seek the good of the place where God has put us in exile by doing the work that God's given us to do each day. When you go to your office, when you do your work, when you are a mom at home, when you go to school and study, that is part of creating thriving and flourishing in the place where God has put us. And so that's part of seeking the good as well, doing the work God's given us to do with joy and with excellence. Now, that list is long and it could go on and on, but here's the, the thrust of it is this is that we have got to get our eyes off ourselves and we've got to get our focus outward. And that's one of the things we constantly, that's why we make our mission to seek the good of the West Shore and beyond for the glory of Christ. Because Christian faith does not turn inward, it turns outward. Because Jesus came for us, he rescued us, he did not stay where he was, he sought us out and he saved us. And anyone who follows him has to be the same way. We have to be people who get our eyes off of ourselves, our own needs, our own desires, our own concerns, and get them on the needs of others. And I want to implore you this year to recommit yourself to that. I think this last year was a challenging year for us, for believers everywhere, because there were so many different difficulties, so many pain points for many of us, so many uh, confusing things that it was just really easy for us to turn our attention on ourselves, say, how am I feeling what, is the, what are the challenges that I'm facing? And they were very real, to be sure. Um, but again and again and again, Christ invites us to turn our attention outward towards others, not inward towards ourselves. So I tell you, one of my practices sometimes, if you're like me, sometimes when people get in, when they inconvenience you, you get annoyed, right? So you're in a store and the line is long and, and you know somebody's got more items than they should in the express lane or, or whatever. I can find myself um, just getting annoyed that people are kind of in my path and I, you know, I'm affecting my, my day a little bit in that way. And one of the things that I have tried to make a regular practice of doing is when I find that sort of poking its head up in my heart, I regularly will, um, I'll, I'll stop. I mean, you may even find me just standing still in a store. I will stop and I will look at every face I can look at <clears throat> and just ask God, how do you feel about this person? What is your heart towards this person? And it changes, for me, it changes my perspective almost immediately. Like instead of worrying about how other people are inconveniencing me, my heart just fills up with love for folks because God loves them. And um, just rem just that simple reminder sometimes that I have to stop, sort of press the pause button and say, you know, Lord, in this target, um, how do you feel about that person that's walking in front of me right now? And that sense of maybe being a little annoyed or inconvenienced, it really does fade uh, because God is faithful through his spirit to give us his heart towards people. So that's just something I'm trying to make a regular habit of doing and have for years and found it to be fruitful. So let me ask the question, what are you doing and planning to do to seek the good of the place where God has placed you as an exile um, this year? I hope you know what that is. If you don't, you know, we want to connect with you this year to help you figure that out. All right, I'm going to move quick because, you know, we're at the 23 minute mark here. And so I know, I know that 
It's a little harder to stay with a video than it is when we're live and in person. So let me hit the last part of that. The question then is, well, how do, you know, how do we think as a church we're best able to do that? And that's where the middle of our mission statement comes in. So seeking the good of the West Shore and beyond for the glory of Christ, but in the middle, we tell you how. Through deep truth, deep lives, and deep love. Now, we're a church that has, we launch a lot of programs, a lot of initiatives, things like the Community Resource Center or uh, things like Upward Basketball or American Heritage Girls, um, things like Alpha. So there's lots of things, <clears throat> life groups that we're doing all the time. But we don't want to be a church that just simply wants, we don't want to use you to get programs done. So this is not a reminder of our mission to get you to sign up to volunteer in different ministries in our church. Love it if you do that. But what we really believe is that we will accomplish our mission of seeking the good of the place God has put us for the glory of Christ. We'll do that as you and I are shaped, as our lives are shaped together. And we think about three places that need to be shaped in our lives, our beliefs, our character, and our actions. That's what we mean by deep truth. What do I believe and how do I, how to, rooted am I in it? Deep truth, deep lives. What is my character like? I mean, is my character really truly being formed more and more and more in increasing measures so that I'm more full of all the fruit of the spirit, love and joy and peace and patience and, and so on, uh, year by year. And then deep love. And by that, we mean our actions because love is, is put into action. And so we think about deep truth, deep lives and deep love. We want to be a people who accomplish our mission by shaping together uh, through our lives together, our beliefs and our character and our actions. Listen to what Colossians 1.28 says. Here's our text for this. Colossians 1.20 says, Him we proclaim, talking about Jesus, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And when you get that phrase, everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, Paul says, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. So here's what I want you to take away from that is that one, Jesus is not glorified by stagnant faith. If your faith, if you're finding that it's stagnant, be honest about that. Jesus is not glorified by stagnant faith. He wants to grow you to maturity in him. And that process won't end until he comes back again or brings you home to himself. And so there's a constant striving, toiling, Paul says, after maturity. Now, this isn't just a text for pastors. It's not just for me to hear this as your pastor and go, okay, Paul says he's striving and straining and toiling so that his people grow to maturity. He's warning them. He's proclaiming the truth to them. He's teaching them. What I want you to hear there is that that's not just a, a call for pastors. It's a call for all of us to invest in one another's lives in such a way that we at points are giving warnings to one another when they're needed, that we're giving encouragement to one another, teaching to one another, guiding and instructing one another. All of that is for all of us so that we would help one another grow to maturity. It takes commitment. It takes a commitment to us living among one another and with one another with real understanding and love and graciousness so that we um, help each other grow to that kind of maturity. So listen, we can't seek the good of the place where God has put us, that outward facing mission, unless we are all growing in maturity together, right? As if we sit stagnant, we will fail in our mission. But if we will diligently walk with one another towards greater and greater maturity in Christ, we'll be more full of love, more full of peace, more full of joy, more full of wisdom, and that will enable us to do the work that God wants to do, to help others be reconciled to God through him, through Christ, to help others walk in his design of them, to put away falsehood and to walk in truth and to put away things that are destructive and to walk in things that give life. So 
those are the things that we I wanted to put in front of you today. If we if we were in person, I think I was going to probably have the time to be able to spend a little time talking about some of our highest values too. But I just want to remind you of our mission together today, that we exist to seek the good of the West Shore and beyond through deep truth, deep lives, and deep love for the glory of Christ. And my challenge to you is to think about how you're recommitting yourself to walk in the mission of our church together, because we're part of this thing together, but also just you as an individual, how you are planning to renew your commitment to follow God wherever he leads. Now we come to the table of communion together. I hope that you grab some elements. I always say, if you're not a follower of Jesus, don't take these elements with us. Um, It would just be a ritual for you. We are proclaiming our faith, our belief in Jesus' cross to redeem us from our sins, to save us. We're saying he is God in the flesh. We are saying he has saved me and I have placed my faith and my trust in him. Uh, I wanna extend to you the opportunity to do that even right now where you are, if you've never made that decision and this table is open to you if you make that decision to say, I've placed my faith in Jesus for salvation for my sins and he and he alone can save me. Now, for those of you who are followers of Jesus and you've got your elements with you, Um, let me remind you, you may even want to hit the pause button and just take a moment because um, we always are invited to examine ourselves as we come to the table. Now, what better thing to do than to remind us of the work that Christ has done because through his cross, that's where both the example and the power to live out our mission are, right? That he's the one that came and laid down his life. So we want to be outward facing as he was and also that he's now Spirit indwells us because of this work on the cross and because of our faith in it. And through that, it enables us to not just sort of have to have this example outside of ourselves to follow, but it has the power to then well up within us and move through us. So we come to the table of the Lord now. And if you have your bread now, let me remind you as we partake together, on the night Jesus betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he gave it to the disciples and he said to them, this is my body, which is given for you. Take and eat. And then in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and giving to the disciples, he said, and this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink. Friends, it's good to be with you today, even, as I said, in this way. I pray it's a safe day for you. I pray it's uh, full of joy and peace that the Lord has met you through his word today. And now let me pray for us, and then we'll see you next Sunday as we all gather together again. Lord Jesus, thank you again for my church family. I thank you that you've called us together, that none of us is here by accident. And in calling us together, you invite us to share your mission in the world. Um, We want others to know you and to walk with you. We want to be your hands and feet. And so we pray that you'd help us. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would, for each one of us, guide and direct our steps. Help us to follow you where you lead. Not where we want to go, but where you lead. Thank you that your ways are always perfect wisdom. Give us a heart for your glory, Jesus, above all things. Help us to love and want to glorify you more than we want anything else in all of life. We confess that our hearts are fickle and they they ebb and flow with the desire for your glory. But we pray that more and more, in increasing measure, through the power of your spirit within us, we would long for your glory in our lives 
and that it would impact and affect and dictate every word we speak, every thought we think, every choice we make. More and more, Lord Jesus, so that you get glory. You're worthy of that glory. We praise you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, Westworld family, you're loved. We'll see you real soon.